Hello and welcome back to the Bastard of All Podcasts. It's the bastarding bastard podcast that is talking bollocks. Hello, welcome. Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome if you're returning. Welcome if it's your first time. Is that enough fucking welcome for you? Hey, good. Nice to have you back. Have I mentioned Patreon recently? Go to patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. Join the fun. Six dollars. Loads of fun to be had. You can do a, a seven day free trial as well if you want. Sign up for seven days. Download a load of really cool stuff and then piss off and it won't cost you a penny. I'm, I'm Honestly, I'm cool with it. That's all you're ever going to get from me free. So, you know, says the man who has been delivering free podcasts for nine years. Yeah, uh, probably... Probably should have thought about that before I said it. Anyway, how are you? You all right? You okay? How are things with you? Good? Yeah? Everybody, all your loved ones, your friends, family, all the rest of it, all good? The pet's good? Yeah? Is the cat okay? Is the dog, dog's good? Yeah? All good? Great. Glad to hear it. How's work? Sorry, didn't mean to ask. Let's not talk about that. Hey. Anyway, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying yourselves. It is time for that part of the podcast where I review what has been happening in the world of metal. So how I do this is um, I see news stories, you know, during the sort of couple of weeks between podcasts and I make a note of my favourite stories and I write them down and then I blather on them to, to, to you about them. But um, that's not the case this time, this time, um, well, it is. I've got a few. I've got a few stories that I've, uh, I've pinned, but um, I decided to sit down this morning and just have a look at Blabbermouth, at the stories about, just get a general feel for it. And a trend soon appeared. Um, so stop me when there's a band who have been around for less than twenty years. First story. Iron Maiden, Sammy Hagar, Ted Nugent, Richie Faulkner, Great White, Wasp, Shadows Fall, okay, but they have come back, King's X, Phil Demmel with Testament, Anthrax, joined by Rob Flynn. Uh, Dogstar comes back. Keanu Reeves plays more show, uh, plays first live show for more, more than two decades. Motley Crue. Cradle of Filth. Metallica. Avenged Sevenfold. Queens of the Stone Age. Skid Row. Testament again. Roger Waters. Creator. Foo Fighters. Sammy Hagar. Talking about Eddie Van Halen. Um... Biohazard being back together. Although it's only 12 years since they last played a show. Pantera. Nikki Six. Pantera again. Fozzy. Blackie Lawless again. Joe Lynn Turner. Metallica. Bob Rock. Slayer. Lacuna Coil. And you think, oh, they haven't been around. It's about a 20th anniversary of their uh, second or third album. So, yeah. Judas Priest, George Lynch, Nita Strauss, Richie Faulkner again. And do you know what? The first time anything comes up that is reasonably new is Tapai or Tappy Houston. And why is that on there? Because it features Lars Ulrich's sons. So that's still got a connection, so let's keep going. Dave Lombardo, Metallica again, Godsmack, Judas Priest, 
um, Triumph. Jesus, we're going further and further back. Stephen Adler, Queensryche, Jasta, looking incredibly like Bill Burr for some reason. Corey Taylor, Dave Lombardo, Rob Zombie, Duff McKay. Do you see where I'm going with this? Alice Cooper. Yeah, that young upstart. Metallica again, Danzig. I mean, bloody hell. You've just got to keep going. You've just got to keep going and keep going. And there's nothing, basically. You know, it, it's, um, you know, there, there's more. There's more stuff keeps going. I mean, there's just literally, I'm still scrolling while I'm chatting to you guys. And there is no one. There is there is nobody. I mean, is it me? Or I mean, has Blabbermouth suddenly turned into the, like, you know, Facebook for metal that's just full of old people? Or is it completely failing to cover any other um, sort of sphere of metal? They've really kind of gone for the... Sorry, I just tapped the mic a couple of times there. I'm wearing a hoodie and it's got metal uh, tips on the strings. And fuck, anybody else find those fucking annoying? It's like you forget they're there, and then every you like hear a tap or or something gets like you know you hear a click. Or, I don't know. And wearing glasses as well, occasionally you're like click. it's just fucking weird. Anyway, but I do quite like them because they're metal, and you know it's a nice way to sort of bring the end of the string together, isn't it? But it's also a bit annoying. Anyway, hopefully they are the brilliant bits of insight that you tune in for. <laughs> So basically, if you want news about bands that aren't dead, don't have dead members or aren't reforming after 40 years or whatever, Blabbermouth is not the site for you guys. It really isn't. I mean, it is just... It really is just... And the weird thing is, they do fairly contemporary, you know, reviews of stuff. But then none of these bands actually seem to be featured at all which is just kind of odd really but I did mention there and worth checking out um, former Machine Head and current violence guitarist Phil Demmel played his first show with Testament last night at the Rock Hard Festival Gelsenkirchen, Germany Demmel is filling in for Testament's regulated guitarist Alex Skolnick who is sitting out some of the band's summer uh, and uh, summer and spring European dates in order to tend to a family emergency because Demel had a gig rescheduled with violence at the Milwaukee Metal Fest on Friday, um, Testament performed as a four-piece at the kickoff of the European tour at the same night in Germany. So there you go. That's what's going on there. Um, uh, oh, actually, um, Alex Skolnick released the statement saying, Dear friends, a few days ago I spent a late-night family emergency email to the band. The hour was 3am. I was at my mother's hospital bedside in a tiny chair, still in, still in stage clothes, a soft guitar taste case crammed in the corner. I'd come straight from my gig downtown. Thankfully, things have improved somewhat, knock on wood. My mum's out of the emergency room in more comfortable surroundings in, in hospital um, and with release in the hopefully not-too-distant future. It's a good thing I happen to be at home at such a turbulent week. At the same time, it's become very clear how many urgent matters need uh, hands-on attention by yours truly in light of all of this. All of which is to say that, fortunately, there is no way to avoid Testament's upcoming European tour being affected. At least there is a protocol for these situations. At this point, Testament had a, uh, had, 
uh, an untold number of tours with bands in which one or more band members have had to be filled in for, most often family issues, which become more frequent as everyone's life goes on. And having assessed this situation, it seems to make the most sense, assuming things continue in the present positive direction, for me to sit out a part of this current tour and rejoin approximately midway. While I hate to miss or cancel shows, and never have, as far as I can remember, family first, as they say. Totally agree. And, um, yeah, it, it is a thing, isn't it? It's As, as these bands we love are getting older so are their so are their loved ones um and yeah these things will affect bands moving forward speaking as a 53 year old guy in a band yeah you know your family getting older around you does affect things um i mean obviously i'm not you know not as busy anywhere near as busy as testament but um it, it's just something that can't be avoided it's just something that can't be avoided, unfortunately. Now, next up, there's this whole fucking Roger Waters bollocks. Okay, I'm not. I, I, to be honest, I'm not. I'm not going to dig deep into it. If you want to read the story, it's on Blabbermouth. But there's basically a fair few people have accused um, uh, Roger Waters of being. Uh, he, well, he's been accused of wearing a Nazi um, outfit on stage in Germany. And I was driving back from a gig the other day, and I was listening to. Um, uh, I think it was the boxing and, and there was the news on just before it and it said that people had complained that Roger Waters had been on stage in Berlin and worn a Nazi outfit and it described a black coat with a red armband and I thought, will that be the wall? That's what Pink, the character in Pink Floyd, the wall, wears. That will be songs from the wall that he's doing. So what's the fucking problem? Are everybody's memories that fucking short? Well, actually, that fucking short. Let's be honest. The wall came out in what? Ooh, now, I don't want to fuck this up, so magic of the pause button. Well, that was worthwhile, because I was going to say the 80s. Turns out, 1979. Great album. Absolutely love it. Greatest concept album of all time. Um, and best movie to go with it of all time, without a fucking doubt. Somebody do some fucking research. He's clearly just gone on stage in his fucking the wall gear and people have gone nuts about it. And that's pretty much what the news story says. So I don't really want to go into it. But having said that, he um, Waters is um, pro-Russia in the Russia and Ukraine war. Yeah, I know. So I'm not going to defend that. What a prick. But there you go. Someone else I'm not going to defend. Phil Anselmo. You know, says he disavows Confederate flag. It's ridiculous, man. Okay, that's fair enough. Do you know what? I don't know why, but I, I don't know if I've been living in a ditch, an, inter, an internet ditch all these years, but I'd never actually seen the footage of Anselmo doing the full-on white power thing that he got dragged over the coals for. And, yeah, I'm just like, that's fucking... Horrific. The fact that he, he was like, the fact that later on he, he tried to claim he was shouting wine power is, is a bit embarrassing, really. But it's full on. He's raging. Anyway, look, fuck me. That's just, yeah, that's a long time ago, isn't it? I'm not going to wear this fucking hoodie again doing this podcast. It keeps tapping the mic. Right, I'm putting the strings, right? Getting hidden away. Right, that's not going to happen again. I'm sorry. Now, um, this is so fucking professional, this podcast, isn't it? I mean, if you thought back, like, when I started, 
that this was, you know, this would get better, that I'd get more professional. Yeah, sorry about that. Anywho, at least the guests have. Um, so, not that, you know, that we didn't have great guests to start with. Oh, I'm making a mess of this. I better shut up and get get the interview started. As you know, in the fucking description of this podcast, you'll have seen that today's guest is the one and only Kim Hawes, who I've also had on the podcast, um, well, sorry, on the podcast, on the motorcast. And we had a great time, and now she's agreed to come on Talking Bollocks, which is great. So we can go a bit more in-depth, because we're not just talking about Motorhead, we're talking about, you know, all the bands she worked with. I had a great time doing this. I hope you have a great time listening to it. Nip over to the YouTube channel. You can watch the video of our discussion. Or alternatively, you can just sit back and listen to this lovely chat. This is Kim and I speaking together a couple of weeks ago. So, hello, Kim. Welcome to Talking Bollocks. Hello, Howard. I'm glad to hello. be here. And let's just talk those bollocks. Let's just talk those bollocks, shall we? You're in the right yeah. place. Um, and you're speaking to the right guy, as you already know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a little bit more th- a little, little bit more way through the book by the way really enjoying it I really I oh, really good. like I really like the way you write um and I'm I like the way that it's hit the ground running there's nothing okay. worse than than and I'm I'm dreading it of my own because I will write one one day and yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how short I can make the I was born I went to school <laughs> I made some friends years because they're, let's face it, they're, they're dull as fuck to anybody who doesn't know you. They are. They are. I, I I think it's like nobody wants to know, like, how I how I got there. They want to know what I did once I was there, you know, so. Well, I'd go one further. I'd say, I'd say no, I don't want to know where, how anyone got there. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? I just want to just, just crack on. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Tell me how to do it. Yeah, it's like those autobi- you know those autobiographies that start with like you know I was a kid and oh I used to you know I used to run away a lot at school and the first time I kissed a girl and then I, I got caught shoplifting and I'm thinking get to the bit where you play stadiums for fuck's sake. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. It's like you just don't care how they did it. That uh, you mm. just unless it's something that that is different. And um, I must say that the audio book came out last week and uh, I I didn't like it. Oh, that's a problem. I, but I do now. I love it now. And it was ah. because the reason why I didn't like it was because I'm listening to these stories and think, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Hearing it yeah. in somebody else's voice and somebody else's words. Right. It was so different. So so now I persevered. <laughs> I persevered through and I love it. And she's done an amazing job. So yeah, but it was it's hard, you know. You can write things down and it's slightly different because mm. you write it down and you put it away. But you hear it in your head as well. You only ever hear what you're writing and what you've written in your head. And you can be as uh, yeah. as objective as you like. I mean, I'm I, I'm always try and remain objective about anything I do. But uh, you can't get your own voice out of your own head. No, and then then but then hearing somebody else read it to you, 
It's like, mm. whoa. <laughs> it's very strange indeed. Very strange. And especially because my whole career was spent avoiding people and not letting anybody know who I was. Right. So some, suddenly it's like it's changed. Because like even doing interviews with you and things, I'm the one that put the people in the room and went, okay, you'll be talking to Howard at seven o'clock. Yes. You'll be doing this. Yeah. Get on with it. And I leave yeah. the room. Yeah. And I go and do yeah. You know, and and it's just so weird. It's just so different, the foot being on the the shoe being on the other foot. Yeah. 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 And and that's interesting because um, like you say, as a member of like management, you are literally your well, you're not background you're not background dressing, but you're making sure the background dressing is is appropriate and correct. And and like you say, you know, some some muso is sat in his dressing room chatting to some idiot like me for 45 minutes. <laughs> but in those 45 minutes, you're like all over the place coordinating, catering, sorting yeah. out one of the one of the support bands time sound checks overrunning there's a, two sizes of merch that are missing there's a truck stuck here yeah i mean yeah you could yeah. you can i bet you could feel it all flowing back can't you i can you're, you're giving me the shakes now <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i can feel it all coming back but but yeah. it's just it's just strange it's just strange mm. and now i know how they felt when they go like oh i feel a bit and i go it's fine. Just get on with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I guess, you know, I, I yeah. The, the thing about having to talk when you don't maybe really want to. Well, I've, I've even sat in when we got um, coaches in, you know, to talk, to tell people how to do it because I've worked with a couple of people that couldn't talk to anybody on a phone. One person used to mm. hate it unless I mean, they were talking before Zoom where they couldn't see the person. So actually being on a phone and answering questions, it would be yes, no. Oh, no, right. But, yeah. And it's like, but you're so much more than that. You know, so he had coaching lessons. So I sat in a couple of those. So I'm trying to remember what they did. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. Um, but that that's quite interesting because it just shows also over the years and certainly now, your interviewee is expected really to to do equal heavy lifting because there are so many interviewers out there now who are not formally trained journalists. So if you do have an interview with somebody who, who's got 10 questions and they ask you 10 closed questions, and by that I mean a closed question can be answered yes or no. If you've got somebody who asks 10 questions and they're closed, you can have an interview over in 10 seconds and <laughs> no one's happy and everyone looks bad. Exactly. And, but whereas now I think really it's even more on the, well, it's even more on the band member to be a salesperson. You've got to be, if, if you know, if I've, I know many fellow band members who are like, they see an interview going South. They realize they're going to have to start, start doing the heavy lifting and, and get this guy through it because I'm more yeah. experienced than he is, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've had, I did a couple of interviews early on, a few, like about a nine, 12 months ago. And I think everybody was trying to see if I was okay with stuff, but I had one poor girl and, and it was just like that, you know, and I was like, oh my God, we're sitting here in silence. 
we are sitting here in absolute silence and this is like some sort of podcast and I'm thinking this is this is just horrendous so again my mind was going back to sitting in that room at EMI <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so, so that was good so I, so you can't really say I've not had the training <laughs> no no but you've sat in on it so that's yeah. as good as isn't it I've just not had the nerves that they had <laughs> yes yeah and that's the key part. So um when did you when did you exit the business? When was your was your kind of last tour or 2013? Right. I think we did we did cover that in the motorcast, but I yeah. wanted to cover it here as well. Yeah. Um, it, it was around 2013. Um I I wasn't doing very much. I was just helping out on certain things and um more like I say, doing the troubles. I was just doing the troubleshooting more than anything. Right. And it just got where, for one, I stopped touring, I think, or I I just didn't, I didn't like touring when, because of the way that um, communication had gone more than anything, the responsibility was being taken away from you. Even in the troubleshooting part, you know, you, right. if you hadn't found out what the problem was on a tour within a couple of hours, you know, it's like, hold on a minute. I, I don't know where the problem's coming from. I've not even seen a show go through or seen what's happening behind the scenes on a show day. So, but you were expected to call in to all these different people and too many people were getting involved. Right. You know, and it just got like, stop. I hate this. I'm... I suppose because I'd been in it for so long, half of me was going, I'm not talking to a little squirt like you who has no idea what's going on. You have no idea of the business and how it works and how dare you question me. And that sounds a little bit, I don't want to be like that. You know, I don't want to yes. say that I'm yeah. better than anybody else or whatever. But there's sometimes when you think to yourself, this person has more experience than I do. And and that was not apparent at the time. And it was just like, no. And then my mum became ill and she, it was discovered that she had cancer and nothing could be done about it. So that was when I decided, okay, I'm going to stay, stay yeah. at home now. Yeah. And be a stay-at-home kid rather than a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> and why the hell not? Good on you. Exactly. exactly. Good on you. So so that's interesting because uh, I, I was, I was going to say um, – during your time in the industry, you must have seen quite a lot of changes. I mean, the impact of the internet on every industry and and how everything runs. Um, but you're you're part of the generation, and I'd like to say I was I worked in the I worked in the um, as well as having worked in the music business and everything else. I worked in the news the the uh, newspaper business for um, uh, for a good few years, and i i was I was pre internet. And okay. and I saw the difference it made to an industry that was quite antiquated and relied on relied on faxed proofs and 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 things like that. And we, you know, we just they just got um, a computer and a graphic artist, you know, and it was and it went and it but who who could actually send stuff over the internet to you know the um uh the typesetters but i i saw how it changed the ind just immensely yes. and you were you saw that in your industry yeah i mean the impact must have been huge i did well it was because it was like 
when it first started, I started tour managing. It was a case of like you got on a tour bus, and as soon as that tour bus left, it's yeah. like they left the building, they left the office where everybody met or wherever yeah. everybody was meeting. That was it. It uh, you yeah. had you could use a telephone in in like a phone box somewhere, but you didn't bother. Or you'd yeah. wait to get to a hotel somewhere and you'd use it in a hotel, but you were not available twenty four seven. So you, you kind of yes, you did have the time off where nobody was giving you a lot of hassle and saying do this, do that. But you also were able to choose what you did. Yeah, and the choice was taken away because somebody else was making that for you, yes. and somebody that didn't realize that yes. As the crow flies on your Google map when you're right, looking at uh, it, yeah. it's three minutes down the road. At rush hour, when you've got to do a sound check and you haven't got there yet, it's three. it could be three hours down the road. Yeah. And you're not here, you know. Yeah. So it was all that yeah. kind of thing went into it. And then it all became like, oh, send us a spreadsheet, send us this, send us the other, you know. And you were on a computer, you, know, you just were not. Constant involved. updates. Yeah. Constantly. Uh, well, it's funny because, of course, that was me. I mean, my first few tours that we did, this was back in 88 was my first tour. So right. we did UK, Europe. Um, and yeah, you leave and it's like, you know, see you later, mom. See you later, dad. <laughs> and you're gone. And yes. like you might you might be able to use a venue in a phone for a couple of minutes you might have to you know you might get a big bag of change and go and visit a a, a call box in a venue uh -huh. um but but that's it nobody knew you know pe people had the tour if they had you know my parents had the like on a calendar they knew uh -huh. what city i was in and what venue and that was it yeah i, I sometimes used to cut it out of um sounds or melody maker where i was going and i used to give that to my mom and go that's where i'm going stick stick that on the fridge <laughs> exactly there you, go. you know and even for myself i'd be going like apparently i'm going out with so-and-so and i'd look through all the papers the music papers to actually see where i was going because i had no idea yeah you know yeah nobody had the time to sit there on the phone and go on this date you're here on this date you know like so they didn't yeah. bother you just went yeah so but i think the most um the biggest decision i ever made was with a band called um the king and and i love this because i actually got away with it and it was when the king had won an award hang and on the king, the king as in well he was an elvis presley impersonator right Okay. But he was noticed as being one of the best yeah. that there ever was. And yeah. he was found singing karaoke by two guys from EMI that were drunk at a bar one night and heard him sing. And they just they just took him because wow. he was so good. Wow. And, and you probably know how these conversations go. These two guys were stood there at the bar and they're going like, oh, he's so good. He's great. And then they went on to say, um, wouldn't it be so funny if Elvis Presley sang this song now or Elvis Presley sang a different song and songs that were just not related to Elvis Presley, you know? And yeah. it's, one of my favourites is Come As You Are by Nirvana and he did a cover of that. And suddenly they also realised that all these songs they had mentioned, all the people had died. Right, Yeah. So then, as you do in a drunken stupor, they stood there going like, and wouldn't it be really funny if we called the album Gravelands? 
instead of Graceland's. Oh, and God. It just developed like that. And he was yeah. huge in Germany. He was massive. Wow. And, and that's where he did most of his work. And um, there was a few problems because he was a postman. The guy was a postman. He didn't want to be an entertainer. He didn't want to be in the music industry. He was just singing karaoke at his local bar on a Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet he he signed a contract but didn't want to do the touring. So that was when I was brought in to take care of him to uh, him so right. nobody sued each other because EMI were yeah. being generous in a way that's like, let's help him get through what he has to do. Yes. And then that's it. Yeah. So that's what we did. Let, hang on. Let's let's help him get through the career he's been bullied into by uh -huh. two members of our staff whilst drunk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. <laughs> only in the music industry. Only in the music industry. The poor guy, he got married <laughs> at a really young age, Irish yeah. Catholic, had about five or seven kids, I can't even remember now, but had all these children and didn't want to leave home. Oh, man. King, so, if you're listening, get in touch. I want to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he won an award and we we looked at this award and it was like he should really go and collect it. The problem was it was 200 miles away from where we were, which was in the middle of nowhere. There was this like, tiny little town and an airport. Yeah. And then it was like, I wonder if we can fly up there, collect it, and fly back in time for the gig. Now, we tried on the phone to phone the office and go, should we do this? But nobody answered. <laughs> so we did it, and I got, I don't know how much it got. <laughs> Bloody hell. But it was a case of, right, okay, and I just phoned up the airport and we booked a plane and the pilot and the whole thing and we flew up there and we flew back down again. But then it got to the stage where we were running really late and um, it was causing a bit of a kamopus at the, the venue. So basically the, the venue sent the police to come and get us and we had the most amazing trip in the police car. Oh, and brilliant. This, police escort. Yeah, police escort just flying around the streets of this tiny little village. But hey, you know, I'm sure if I'd have got in touch with the office, they probably would have said, "Oh no, they'll just just do a recording and send it to them," you know, or or whatever. They wouldn't have let us go. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no <laughs> way. But you made an executive decision, which meant you going up in a plane and back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Uh, well, I've I've got to ask um, one of the. One of the um, bands mentioned in your book is Rush, but I haven't got as far as uh, now. I, now, a, I, a family member of mine was involved in the recording team that um, when they did Permanent Waves. Okay. And um, so um, uh, that was, I would, I would say, the era that Rush would call their cocaine days. Uh -huh. Um. Uh, what was it? When did you come across them? <laughs> I came across them. It was actually my second tour I ever did. Oh. Oh, wow. Right. And it was basically I'd finished the Elvis Costello bit, mm -hmm. you know, the, where I wasn't getting paid or anything. I just blagged my way on that tour. It's, it's like it's in the book. So did that. <laughs> and then I got a phone call about three weeks after the Elvis Costello thing, and it, it was from um, Holy T-Shirts, who was the company that did the T-Shirts, and they just said, would I like a job? Um, and would I like to go on tour? So I was like, oh, yeah, who with? You know, expecting whatever. 
and they went, it's a band called Rush and you can go to Europe and this is how much we're going to pay you. I did not know who Rush were at that moment in time. Right. Yeah, fair enough. But I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to go back on tour. Of course I am. So, you know, I was scared to death, but I knew I had to do it anyway. You know, so that was my first encounter of Rush, but <laughs> we had such a good time. I was very, I was like 19, 19 of, age, of age and there was one of their roadies called Skip and he was a tiny bit older than me, but the two of us were just like the, the children on the tour. <laughs> and we were really looked after by them. Oh, brilliant. Know, which was fantastic. Um, I don't know if you've come up with the, the story of us at Pink Pop Festival. With no, Rock. no, go for it. Okay, so it got to Pink Pop and um, that was incredible because there were so many people there yeah. that I was in awe of. I was walking around with my mouth open, you know, and uh, everybody was staying at the same hotel. And so in the daytime, I'd met like Mick Jagger and Jerry Hall. Elvis Costello was still there. Peter Todd was there. The police were there because they just released Roxanne. So there was just wow. everybody everywhere. And um, I went down to the bar, but it was a cocktail bar in the hotel that they sectioned off for for just the bands and everybody. And been, it was sort of, like I said, it, because it was in Europe, they'd done a thing where it was over 21s only. And um, I just thought, well, I'll walk in. I got my pass, so I got into the bar. I went yeah. up to the bar, and the guy said to me, you know, like, looked at me kind of like a bit reluctant. And then Sting and all, all three of them were sat on the sofa close by and they just went, I wouldn't serve her, she's too young. And oh. the man just went, have you got any ID? Well, I, I couldn't do it. You know, I was yeah. 19, couldn't do it. So I was just like, thanks a lot, guys. And Sting actually came over and he's like, well, I'll buy a drink. I'll buy her the drink. You know, I'll... I'll, I'll I'm not by I'll just get the drink for you. And it was it was just too late. Yeah. So yeah. I, I left. It was like, oh, okay, I'll just go to bed, you know. How boring is this? And um Rush found out about it. When they came like came down, it was like, Well, where are Kim and Skip? It was like they can't come because they're too young to get in. And they hired a smaller room with a bar in it in the hotel and we had our own private party. <laughs> Now, at the end of it, I went up to my room and I got the key in the door and I woke up with the maid in the morning vacuuming around me. That's how <laughs> I just slid down the door with the key and missed it completely. Brilliant. <laughs> but Daddy Lee was actually in the elevator going up and down all night. He hadn't even made, <laughs> made it. So he was just in the corner going up and down all night. So so we we had a great time that night. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. Oh, that is absolutely did. brilliant. Uh -huh. Um the thing is, it I mean, it's such it is such a um unreal existence being on the road, isn't it? I mean, I know we touched on this when we when we talked to the motorcast, but I think um it's it, it, it only I'm convinced that part of the deep connection that I have with people who I toured with for three weeks, 30 years ago. Yeah. Is because 
that it's a human experience. It's a level of connection that I just don't have with anybody else. I can't describe it. I literally can sit down. Someone can walk in a room and it's like they just went to the toilet. But that was 20 years ago. That you've you've got it down to a T. It, it's it's unbelievable. It's as if life stopped yeah. from the last time you saw them. Yeah, yeah. and it is like they just got up, gone to the loo, and come back in again. Yeah. And and you remember such with such fondness everything that went on because I've always yeah. said kind of like being pregnant. If you could remember the pain from being pregnant, you never do it again. So people would never have more than one one child because yeah. it's just too much. It's the same about touring. You only remember the great bits yeah you know? and and you, then you even start to look at the bad bits in in a kind of fondness in a way you know that it actually taught you something yes so there's no bad times on tour it was only good times and, and you remember them like that like you say like they were yesterday and yeah. i love that i love yeah it. and and I, i'm also but you know one of the worst things is parting as well is at the end of a tour when wow. you know that you know and the thing is as well it's not just the band you're with it's the other bands you're with it's the other crews you're with you you know you homogenize into one crew yes you're all you've all got one band's back but everybody but will drop family. everything for everybody else exactly you are a family and you take care of each other and yeah. it's it's just amazing to have that sense of security around you and then like you say you come to the end of it and it's so it's so quick in a way because the days are so long and you don't have time to think about tomorrow because you're involved in the moment. So suddenly when it comes, it's like bang. You know, it's a bombshell. And yeah. um, and it I, I mean, a lot of people, it hurts a lot of people. A lot of people can't get over it because I always said you go home and you go through your common day-to-day -day thing. I don't know if we touched on this last week, but it's just sort of, you watch oh, it, yeah. you, yeah, Corey, you eat your beans on toast and then you're, and what else is there to do now? You've done yes. that. I want, yeah. I want to go back on tour now, you know, so, yeah. so that's just, yeah. And the weird thing is as well as you might have spent three weeks dreaming of being able to lie back and just have a nice long bath at home. <laughs> well, I've done that now. Yeah. <laughs> so now I can go back out on the road. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. And it's just... And you just kind of you have these weird experiences when you come back off tour. You do things like I, I, I've got no milk, and and I've got to get up and I've got to get dressed and I've, I've got to go to the shop, and nobody's going to bring me like a glass of milk or nobody's going to bring me this, and I've got to do it for myself. And yeah, and then it's like then you think to yourself, oh, I wonder if so and so will come with me, and it's like, but they can't because they live. Eighty miles away. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just such a weird thing. It, I, I'll tell you, my, I've got the word. It's discombobulating. Okay, <laughs> like that. Yeah, like you come that. home off tour, and it's all discombobulated. Like wonderful, wonderful just, phrasing. I love it. It's like everything is in the right place, but it's all wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like, just doesn't feel real. No, and it's sort of like. Nobody's washed my bed sheets. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like I've got to do that myself, and it's like I've got to clean up, I've got to vacuum, or I've got to do this, and and it yeah. sounds really bad, but you are taken care of so much that you kind of get used to it. 
I mean, it comes down to when my daughter was about three or when she first started to eat stuff, and I, I and I, I was going. She wanted a boiled egg, okay, and I had to. Ask my mother how to make a boiled egg. Hey, you had to ask your mother. You have to ask your mother how to boil an egg. <laughs> and she just looked at me and was like, "How do you think? Boil a boil a pan of water, <laughs> put the egg in it, come back three minutes later, take the egg out." <laughs> yeah, but it was because and and people looked at me like I I don't know how to do that. And even now they'll go like, yeah. "What do you cook? What do you make?" And I was like, "I, I don't because." I never had to, and that sounds yeah. so bad. But I was touring from, like I say, such a young age when we had caterers yeah. yeah. on tour yeah. that made the most amazing meals that all I knew was how to make beans on toast when I got home. I didn't know how to make anything else, and I didn't want to make anything else because I crave for basic fish and chips. <laughs> yeah. I crave for those things um, yeah. rather than a three-course dinner. So it it just – no, I never – I never did learn how to cook. So, yeah, how do you boil an egg? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's proper rock star shit, that. <laughs> it is. It sounds awful. So how old? Because I was 18 when I did my first tour, and you'd have been 19. So, Well, I, I, I didn't realise this, but I was actually 18 on the Elvis Costello tour and 19 oh. when I actually got paid for it. So, yeah. Right, okay. Then 19, yeah. But yeah. And, and I remember very clearly... Um, what it's like to get thrown in the deep end because we're about, I mean, we were, we had played, uh, I mean, we'd played like five, six shows maybe before we did our first UK and European tour. Yeah. I mean, we, our first gig, our first gig was, was a local gig, but by the time we played it, we'd already signed a record deal, recorded our debut album, signed a management deal. Um, and that was, and it was already, it was ready, you know, waiting to get released. And that's when we did our first ever gig. Um, it was, it, it was a, a, a weird so scenario, good. a weird yeah. scenario. But, but to go, to, yeah, to get thrown in at that age and just go like, I know exactly, exactly what it was like for you. Because I, I too had members of other bands and crew kind of educating you you know as you get to a country right don't eat these do eat these yeah. if someone comes up and says this run if someone's you know what i mean yes exa exactly i mean i remember just going to i mean this came up in conversation with somebody while i was doing the book is i remember being in yorkshire when they were looking for the ripper oh god yeah this and is, it was just gone a bit dark well it, yeah and it was because i i hadn't realized that i'd literally walked down we came out of this um i can't we needed some change basically we'd run out of change oh well that was that was it back in the day wasn't it you were always in the need of change looking for change everybody was exactly and the best place to get change was the bus station in those days right because especially at that time of night <sighs> it's well it's a bit it's a bit late handing down that bloody great life tip to me now isn't it <laughs> <laughs> So, so it was um, it was a case of me going out of the venue and walking down this really dark alleyway, and at the bottom of this alleyway, down this roadway that was hardly lit to the bus station, and only being told later that of course they were advising girls and women not to go out at that time because it was so because he yeah. was out there and they were looking for him. 
Yeah. So there was, you put yourself in, yeah, I, I think I did put myself in some danger some of the time that I hadn't realized. Yeah. But um, it, it was, it was just one of those things that you did, you know, you just didn't think yeah. because you were so young. And because I was young, I got the nasty job. Well, I, I was I, I was on um, I, I was on a tour where we that a member of another band got arrested, and we thought it was hilarious. You know, yeah. we'd, we'd we'd drawn we'd drawn little chads on the back of the bus in the dirt. You know, bunk for hire, sea management. You know, <laughs> what no what no guns? Well, that's that's guns who's been arrested. So anyway, um, it wasn't hilarious. It took fifty thousand no. US dollars to get him out. Uh, the yeah. Germans hadn't spoken any English to him since he'd been arrested. The whole thing was horrific, absolutely yeah. horrific. Oh, yeah. But we'd all read, you know, we were eighteen and a red Kerrang. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't imprison people no. in bands. It's not, it's not allowed. If it, I mean, there's um, going back to Motorhead. One of the times of that we we were going to get shot and killed. Oh, that's nice. Which was with um, I, I was driving a, a Ford Granada. Hang, hang on a second, here, Kim. Are you in a dark mood? We're following the <laughs> we're following the Ripper. With that time, we nearly got shot to death. Yeah, well, it, I suppose we didn't, but we. I, I it was the, the time. I'm, I guess I was most frightened. So, if you picture yeah. this, I'm in a Ford Granada. So we're driving like the Sweeney. Brilliant. Oh, right. honestly, this yeah, great start. So we're going from Hamburg and we're going down the corridor to Berlin. Yeah. Lemmy goes, I'm not going on the bus. I'm coming in the car with you. It'll be a lot quicker because this was an overnighter. Right. So it's like, okay. And now luckily enough, the German promoter decided to come with us. Thank God. That's all I can say. So Lemmy that day had bought an SS helmet, war helmet for himself. Mm-hmm. So he was proudly wearing it at the end of the gig because, as you know, he collected memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So he got that on and he got all his badges and all his regalia on, and you know, all his bits and pieces that he always wore. And he's reading a book about the SS. Yeah. Now, he sat in the front of the Ford Granada with the seat back, tilted back, with the book in one hand and his, his cigarette in the other. Yeah, I actually thought it was foggy because mm. there was so much cigarette smoke inside the car, where in fact it wasn't. Now the corridor used to be the straight. If you remember it, that's the yes. so straight. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And every so often there was like um, towers with people looking down on you, etc. Mm-hmm. So we're driving it's along. Quite, and- it was quite scary. It sounds, yes. you know, it's it is as scary as it sounds, folks. Imagine it in your in your minds. Late at night, raining, misty, yeah. or or smoky and foggy in the car, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I and and I remember those the, the way those things just loom out of out of the fog as well. So, yes, yeah. and, and wire net this netting on either side too, so you couldn't just get out of the car and run through a field. You you were just in this box. Yeah, and um, I've been told that we get pulled because it had British number plates on. So I'd been warned that you're bound to get pulled over. They're going to charge you. I can't even remember what they did, what it was, but they're going to charge you this money that's and then right. you'll be able to. But that's fine. Just give them the money and then carry on. But, of course, so we do. We get pulled. 
And I wind down the window and there's this guard standing there with the machine gun and the whole thing. And he's talking in German. And Lemmy's just sat there still with his book. And the light's on. The light's been on in the car all the way since the gig because otherwise he can't see his book. Right. So, so the whole thing's lit up and there's him just sat there with the book and his cigarette and he just looked at him with his helmet on and just went, all right, mate. And I can still see that and I just thought, oh, my, this is it. <laughs> this is when he says, get out the car. <laughs> Stand against that fence. Now, like I said, luckily the German promoter was with us and so he spoke to him and we paid him. But it must have been so unbelievable to that. When I Now I think back at it, that poor young soldier that we got stopped three other times. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I don't know how many thousands it cost us that night, but we just get, and I think it was the case of just watching Lemmy because they were just aghast at this guy sitting there with his regalia on look, reading about the SS and, and just with the, yeah, the whole, the whole picture of him, you know, Oh, and his Jack Daniels. And the thing being with him being English as well, they, and presumably there's like a, I, I don't know, you know, is he taking the piss? Should we be flattered? Should we shoot him? Should we laugh? What what the fuck is this England? What is it with this guy? Exactly. So it was it was just but I did. I seriously thought I was gonna get shot. And yeah. then what made it worse was the day the next day we had to come back again. No, sorry, not the next day, the day after the next day. And it was a day off. So we did it I did it in the daylight. So Lemmy wasn't with me then. I was doing it on my own. And I just thought, oh my god, they're gonna recognise the car. <laughs> They're going to pull it over just to get a look at the mad Englishman dressed as a Nazi. Exactly. And where is he? <laughs> and Brilliant. that was that was even worse. Yeah. So um, uh, did you get pulled on the way back as well? No, I didn't. I ah. didn't. But I did get checked out in a weird way where there was three blacked out cars with blacked yeah. out windows and they just yeah. surrounded my car. And the one in the middle, just the window went down and the guy had sunglasses up, all blacked out, and then it went back up and then they just drove off. So whether they'd come out to check me out, I don't know. So what you're <laughs> telling me is the movies are real. All of this yeah. shit really does look like it's in real life. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we see, talk about being dark. When we were on tour once in, in Berlin, um, we, we did Berlin because we had no money. We decided that we'd spend some time there. Uh, just a couple of days there on our own. And um, we had roller skates with us. So we decided park up and just do everything on the roller skates. We decided to go through Checkpoint Charlie on roller skates. And the Americans said, it's fine. Slight, just slightly. Oh, you took the advice of Americans in a yeah. foreign country. Exactly. Mistake number one. <laughs> So when they all pointed the guns at us and were shouting, stop, 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 it was like, stop where? And the Americans then are shouting, come back. And we're going, but they've told us to stop. So we, we skated back over and we were told we had to remove the skates, walk across the footbridge, not through the traffic bit, go across the footbridge, and then we could put the skates on at the other side. Right, so, okay. uh, yeah, we did have our photograph taken then and i think it was in the museum for quite a while but <laughs> that's brilliant yeah and and the thing is, is i i don't know if you noticed this um oh i'm sure you picked up on it but when i when i first those those first few european tours um the the 
difference what i remember the difference in culture just the minute you you step and and it's still there but it's hugely diluted because of the internet because we can we're all watching the same shows buying the same clothes from the same fucking shops back yeah. then you saw people in fucking clogs okay that's what i'm saying you know yes, yes. all yeah. the time and i and every country it was just like like wow you know difference. big difference yeah in the way they acted in the way what they ate and how they dressed and and what they did was just yeah crazy. food in fact just about the only thing we had in common was music yeah yeah and 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 then there's like i remember like we went to um this was in italy and we went to a restaurant on a day off and um there was Wurzel, Phil Campbell and myself and Lemmy was already at the restaurant and we got there and um we're going through the menu, like deciding what to eat. And Lemmy's just looking, watching us, because like Lemmy, um Wurzel and Phil had just joined Motorhead, so they were they were like young naive too, in a way. Like Lemmy's the experienced one just sat there. And we got to like, oh Scampy, you know, Scampy was on the menu. So we're like, oh yeah thinking it's the scampi that you get from Tesco's in a bag, yeah, the frozen scampi, yeah. scampi in a basket, that kind of thing. So Phil Campbell and I were like, oh, yeah, scampi, we're going to have that. And Lemmy just cracked out laughing in a way because he was just like, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like this is going to be funny. Yeah. So the meal came and yeah. Wurzel had his pizza, Lemmy had his pizza, and Phil Campbell and I had scampi, and they took the top off this dish and there was just like, three crayfish on each dish with the eyes and the whole thing on. And we just, Phil and I just looked at each other. It was like, there's no way we're going to eat this. And then let me just like burst out laughing and said, I told you you should have had the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we were, we were just expecting the, the breaded Tesco scampi. Yeah. Fucking so. hell. That is awful. I, I, oh, I, well, to be fair, our, um, um, our guitarist Cookie, when we were in Spain, um, had um, had a lot of the steak at tapas, and um, and and I could tell from the shape what he was eating. Uh -huh. And I didn't mention it. I don't think he'd be bothered, but I, other people might, so I didn't mention it. Uh -huh. And then afterwards, it was like, it's um, that was horse, by the way. Yeah. And I was like, well, it was funny. I thought it tasted a bit different, but yeah, it was nice. I was like, yeah, horse is really nice. Yeah, but, but later that day, yeah, shat himself, gave him the trots. Yeah, ba -boom. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it is amazing what you end up eating in yes. um in, in other countries. I I was yeah. a, a like when I became a vegetarian was partly through touring when um a calf was killed in front of its mother oh. for us to eat. Oh bloody and hell! That was awful. Um, but again, so then that's enough to turn anybody vegetarian. To be fair, yeah. Well, it was, and I I was just in the wrong place at the time mm -hmm. to see. You know, I I just had to walk walk through when they were doing it, and I, I yeah. And the um, but like I said, I became a vegetarian, and then we were in. Gosh, I can't even remember now, but they knew I was a veggie. I went 
to the catering place where they were doing the catering and this they got like these old ladies it was somewhere weird in eastern europe europe somewhere and i had a bowl of rice and i was moving down the line and this lady old lady stopped this ladle in this stew picked out the bits of meat and poured the gravy onto my rice and i was like no you can't i don't, I don't want that but they could not understand why i couldn't eat the gravy you know, it's got no meat in it. We've taken the meat. Out. Oh, <laughs> like, bless! No, you don't understand. I can't. I, can't, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So d the different culture type. Uh, well, thing. but Eastern Europe. I was about to say, yeah, back when it was Eastern Europe. You know, yeah. back when it was the Eastern Bloc, because it was. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, and but those those food things are always like you know really weird, really really yeah. weird. That's yeah. all sorts of things. Um, we had um probably the best one one of the best steaks i've ever had was in um was in greece and uh what? cooked cooked by south africans you know because you never know who you're going to run into on the road do you you never no, know you who's going to turn up and i mean lemmy must have had friends in every bloody city well there was there was somebody new turned up all the time anybody from i mean not just with lemmy but all of them you know, yeah. had fans from all over the place. I've yeah. met with Lemmy like Hell's Angels. And I could even tell you the differences between the Hell's Angels in the different countries, right. you know, which was yeah. so strange that some of them wore silver, some of them wore solid gold. You know, it, Weird. it was so strange. And then I've met nuns, you know, that have come out to um, to watch a gig of somebody that was three nuns came out. I've I've had other famous people come to a venue at such short notice to watch a gig. Yeah. And you get a call or something and say, so and so's coming, you, can they get in or can you let them yeah. in? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's amazing who you meet. And then I've exactly, I've like yeah. been sat in some catering somewhere and like you say, one of the crew walks in that you've known you last saw five years ago and they walk in, they oh. go, him, is that you? And it's like, yeah, which is fabulous. Do you know what? Those moments, especially at festivals, you've reminded me, like where yes. you, you like you, you bump into somebody that, I didn't know you were here. I didn't know you were here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant feeling. It is, it is. It's a fantastic way of life. I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to describe because it's it's like being a posh boy circus in a way. Right. Because it's like you don't sleep in caravans or anything with the circus. You sleep in, in five-star hotels. You don't you don't like sleep in a field or or something, you know, it's it's Yes. So that's yeah. strange. And then on days off, you're not just traveling. I mean, one day off, I remember being on one tour and we'd stayed at um, the lighting guy's friend and the LD's friend. And it was somewhere in Oxford somewhere. And we got up then in the morning and it's like we had a day off. So what are we going to do today? Oh, I know. Let's open the airfield and let's go flying, you know, because they – they were in, we were at Lady So and So's house, which I hadn't realised. You know, we were at this oh wow, we were at this really posh, stately home, and they were not far from the airport. And they just phoned up and it's just like, oh, we're coming gliding today. Can you get the gliders out? 
Wow. And, and that was on a day off. So, it, yeah, Posh Boys Club Touring. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. It, yeah, just weird. Um, and I've got to ask as well, which um, which incarnation was it of Sabbath that you um, you worked with? Dio. Really? Ronnie James, James Dio. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, well, I'm looking forward to getting to that bit of the book. He is one. Yeah. He's one of the he's one of my faces on, on Mount right. Rushmore responsible for me ending up doing what I do. And he's one of them. I think the fir first song that I ever sang in Acid Rain was a cover version of Hungry for Heaven by Dio. <laughs> I mean, there's not... I've taught In the book, I've talked about the journey through from mm. selling shirts to getting to where I got. And I have to be honest that it's more of the early days that I've put in. Yeah. Because it's unfair to talk about things that still might affect some people. So I I yes. I want to keep that out because I have no you know, I've got nothing against any anybody yeah. and I just want to be nice. So yeah. I remember things I I talk about Dio from when I was like did a few tours with Sabbath um from twenty two, twenty three upwards. I actually married Geezer Butler's nephew oh, at one wow. part, part in my life. Right. And um, they were all coming to my wedding and I stopped them because suddenly it wasn't my wedding anymore. You can imagine I'm oh, getting married in my yes. home village where I grew up. And then all these people are phoning up going, I believe you're getting married. I was like, are Sabbath going? And it was like, no, they're not. It's my day. Go Yeah, it, yeah it's <laughs> not know? on their tour T-shirt. It's not an extra added date. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I get it now. I, yeah, no, I absolutely get it. Yeah. yeah, you, you're, you're the focus of the events. Enough. This is my day. Yeah, yeah. This is my day. So, I mean, Giza Buckler did turn up. He came, but not, and none of the others did because it was just like no, no way. Um, yeah. But again, being with them was being in uh, America when I was too young to do to go out to bars and things on days off. Uh. You know, because of course, twenty again. Yeah. My first, well, like what later on I did, but my first first time out there with them, I was um, twenty. Yeah, you know, so, so I couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so close, <laughs> so close. That must have been, I don't know, boring, frustrating. Certainly, at least just for one tour. Yeah, it was boring and frustrating because the only thing I ever did was stay on the tour bus, going to a venue, which I, I kind of talk about in one way. It's like um, I make point of saying it was I went to San Francisco three times before I actually knew I was in San Francisco Wow! and it's not because I was out of it or anything it was because no. we were in a stadium on the outskirts of somewhere you drove the tour bus into a concrete building you got out right. inside yeah you did the thing you did the whole thing then you got back on the tour bus and you left and I, I once said to the tour bus driver Please tell me when we hit San Fran. I, I can't wait. I want to see the Golden Gate Bridge. I want to, I just want to see it all. Yeah. And he just went, Kim, we were there a few days ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like you missed it. And um, so later on, when I was I began to tour manage, I I made a point of when I got to a city, I used to say to people, right, I'm going to get the band now, but I'd leave 20 minutes early in a nice. cab. 
And I'd say to the cab driver, right, I've got 20 minutes and I need to be here. But in the meantime, I want to see this, this, this and this. Can you do it? You know, and we just bomb round places and, uh, and I'd get Good to on you. Yeah. You get tour buddies. There was two of us who were seemed to be awake before everybody else and we didn't mind walking. So every every town we played, every city we played, every country, we got up and went out and yeah. and just walked until we found a McDonald's because that's the only thing that we could possibly eat that we'd recognised. And by this time, we'd had so many bad experiences with trying local cuisine, you know. And so and so that's how I saw most countries was in the morning. Yes, you know, yeah. getting out, just getting out and about and, and seeing as much of it as possible. Because otherwise you just miss these, you're in such beautiful places and you might be staying in five-star hotels and all this lot, but you, you don't get to appreciate what the actual country or the city is like until you no. get out there and have a look and you have to purposely do it. And don't want to sound blasé, but, you know, one five-star hotel is very much like the next five-star hotel. Yeah. And yes, they are. So, yeah. you know, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember once I was so pissed off with this because I was so tired. You know, it's like uh, as tour managers, you only got five hour, four or five hours sleep a night. Uh, and I was always at my best. With, um, I am still on six hours sleep. And anything more, I'm sluggish. Anything less, I'm sluggish. So six hours, I love just having six hours. And um, I finished work about 3 a.m., 4 a.m., by the time I got everything done, gone to bed, I got a phone call at 7 a.m. in the morning from the manager of the hotel because he was uh, sending, he like inviting me to go for breakfast as appreciation to bring in like 75 people to his hotel, which was very nice of them. Mm. But it's like, but I'm so damn tired. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I really want to do it. But I, I did it because I knew we were going back there in a couple of months' time. But it, oh. it's those little things, you know, like the guy's trying to be so nice and you've got to appreciate the fact that I was being taken for breakfast and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it... But also it was work because you could have done with the sleep, but also you knew that, look, he might not take offence, but there's a chance he will. And if he does, we're back here in X amount of months. And if anybody gets any shit... It'll come back on me not having breakfast with the guy. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly, and it and it and it did work because we did go back there in a couple of months, and suddenly they changed their mobile phones where people had mobile phones then. Mm-hmm. So and texting, so nobody was using the hotel phones. So what they decided to do in this particular hotel was charge a dollar for every time you use the phone next to the bed. You know, it's like room to room it was a dollar and i had this bill of like three hundred dollars because i've been and i hadn't realized but it was only because i knew him that i didn't have to pay for it ah you see or does it all works out doesn't it It all works out yeah so there was a reason i got up for breakfast (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely but uh, and but the the thing is as well is um you must have seen changes over the years and um, you must have seen more women um, coming through as well. Yes, yeah. Um, I had my first lady, LD was the first one that I had. 
and she was amazing and because I'd worked with her before I started TMing so that was good and she was Hawkwind's lighting designer right and she was great uh then I had an American who was also an LD but the thing is like in one way I'm most proud of this because through my career I never pushed a box I'm <laughs> and I, sh- I it's kind of a weird one but I do like to say it because some people go like well what was it like packing a truck and I was like I don't know I never did it you know and, and I like the fact that I never did it but these yeah. these were, were full on they did their gig they did the whole thing and and yeah they were good at what they did but um it's not for the faint-hearted because um I knew I couldn't push boxes I've got no upper body strength to begin with you know so uh, yeah so so yeah so but though they were both LDs um and then I've met a few tour managers and stuff since yeah well I I was going to say my my f- um first female tour manager was Tony Isabella who was managing um Exodus on the road and the fabulous disaster tour and that was in 1989 yeah yeah so so they you know they were all coming they were coming through by then and yeah. um and so it was. It, it's good. It's it's great, but it's uh, there's still not very many out there, and which I think is sad. And I do get angry when they. I, I do talks and stuff now at universities where I chat to people coming through, and I'm very passionate too that because I feel in this country particular we'd be. I've got to watch myself here because I might get in trouble with the universities that I'm actually talking at, but. Mm-hmm. You know, we are we are telling these youngsters who are artists that they are the best thing ever and they're going to go out and they're going to become yeah. major stars. And it's not going to happen to everybody. So I like to say, hey, look, I always wanted to be in a famous band or a singer, but there's major flaws with that because I can't sing and I can't play a musical instrument. But I had a longer career in the music industry than most bands do. Yeah. So... If you don't make it with that, there's all these other jobs out there. And then it just infuriates me when these young women turn around and go, there are not enough women in the music industry. And why am I be called why am I being called a groupie and, and all this rubbish? And I'm like, I've no idea why you've been called a groupie because I would have been flattered at times if I'd been called a groupie <laughs> because I look like shit half the time. <laughs> But it's like, if I could do it in 1979, please mm. don't tell me nowadays that you can't. And yeah. have you ever thought it's because you're not good enough? Yeah, there is there is a um, an air of entitlement to the question, without a doubt. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and the thing is, it's, it's, it's an equal opportunity scheme. If you're good enough, you get the job. I mean, yes. one of my favourite venues to play... Certainly my favourite London venue is uh, the Camden Underworld. And last time we played the Camden Underworld, we had um female front of house who I know, who she's done out sound before and done a great job. And we had female monitor um, engineer. Everybody else was male, but on the yeah. actual sound crew, um, the sound crew was entirely female. You know, and, and yeah, that you you know that is that's a difference that's occurred definitely in the last five or six yeah. years and it's great to see it's great yeah. to see and 
you know, more power to to any women who want to work. And like, but like you said, it's about being good enough. It's not about being woman enough. No. No. It's about being good enough. Yes, and and don't use it. Don't use it as an excuse because you can't. You can't. This you can't hide in this business. You can't have a day because you can't have a day off. You can be as sick as a dog and still you've got to get up that day and go and do your job. You know, yes. there's no phoning in sick. There's no going, I'm so tired today. Do you know what? I'll call the office and say that I don't feel very well. There's none of that. You're there to do a job and you have to do it regardless. I've had people work on tours with um, broken leg, with arms yeah. that have exploded in um, pyros. You know, and they've had a plastic bag over their arm and the skin's been covered off and they still worked. Oh, it's but it's like but it's like a badge of honor though, isn't it? Sometimes sometimes you start to think, Yeah, yeah, you're wearing that a bit like a badge now. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'll be don't worry though. Don't worry, I'll be back. I'll be there. Yeah, 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 it's exactly so. Well, I think that that's the thing you've got to realize. It's it's not a, it's not easy, and yeah. um, you've got to prepare to put the hours in and the work in. And you well, can't just, say yeah. it like eleven o'clock at night. Can I? Do you mind if I go home early today? <laughs> you know, there's none of that. That that is a great point. That is a great point. And also, all of the attributes that you just listed. Apply to being in a band, never mind just working for a band, working with a band, working behind the scenes. Well, if you're not doing your job, front of house is a mess and that can't happen. So if anything, you're more important than the band. Well, it's a a knock-on effect. Yeah. You know, it's an absolute knock-on effect. It's teamwork. It's teamwork. And and teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) And... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you also, I mean, you might be working too with people that you've never met before, you know? And, oh, and you're working, you're working cheek by jowl together, like yes. from now for the next three months, every fucking night. Yeah. And there yeah. are those stages that you go, I mean, I know the stages like clockwork now. I know the stages of a roadie's life where they start off being naive, then they get, there's three stages. They start off being really naive. Then they go to the stage where I know everything because I'm so cool and, you know, yeah. whatever. So then they go through this stage and then they get to the last stage, which is just like, do you know world, what? World weary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, 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 do you want to come out for a beer and have some stage? Do you know what? I would, but I can't be bothered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so there are those stages that people go through. And <laughs> the same with band members too, you know, it's, yeah. and you can, once you, you, once you've been there yourself, because you know you, you, I've acted that way. I've been, you know, just the same. Where I've gone up to a bar and gone, I've got a backstage pass on. I don't need to get in a queue. You know? yeah. <laughs> and they've looked at me and go, "I've never heard of him, mate." <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And then you feel really stupid because yes. you can't the back of the line. Yeah, you yeah. know. So, so I've been there and I've done that. And um, like I said, it's just because you get older and you get wiser and you've you've seen it. Then by then. Yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 But it's Ugh. it's 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 a job that yeah I loved I loved every minute of it I have to say that yeah 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 I know and and um 
it's it is a such a rare thing and but i i really like the idea of you know where you find yourself now which is um trying to make a difference to you know women's careers anybody yeah. who's thinking of this kind of life um and it's it's i like your advice because it's because like like me you're a northerner and it's just, <laughs> you want to do it yeah well fucking get on with it yeah just get on with it don't ask me what, what why are you standing here asking me go do it yes yeah exactly. yeah why in fact why why are you even thinking that there is a course for I this a sh yeah a short that, yeah 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 that thinking is broken completely yeah. it's the same way learn to swim someone pushes you in that's and yeah yeah that's it but somebody i somebody said how well how do i start and i went okay have you got any venues in your town and they went yeah mm. i said and yeah what jobs have they got there oh they had a job at a cafe the cafe in there and i went yeah and why didn't you take it well it was in the cafe it's in the building. Yeah, but it's in the building. You're not. You're yeah, exactly. You, you wander down to the fucking stage during the day like everybody else does, you know. Yeah. Where is she? Oh, is she down there again? We may as well bloody give her a job down there. And then yeah. six months ago, six months later, you're working down there. Fuck me. Come on. Yes. And they don't realize this because nobody, I, I said this time and time again, and it really gets me riled. It's like, you take the course and you go home from university. You've got three years under your belt there and you've got a piece of paper that says you're qualified. But nobody's going to phone you and go, oh, hi, I believe you just took this degree. How mm. would you like to come and tour manage me? My name's Tom Jones. Of course they're not. The biggest um, possible qualification you can have, and this just doesn't go for music business, this goes for everything. People hire experience over intelligence or over education 100% of the time it's as simple yeah. as that if you get offered a job halfway through the course ditch the fucking course go because for the, it yeah because that job might never happen yeah it's it's sort of you know I I know I I mean I've employed them myself I've employed people at venues because they just happen to be in the right place at the right time enthusiasm as well enthusiasm yeah. can do attitude want to be here see it as an opportunity um yeah go hang around go go and hang around when there's bands playing that you that, you know that you know you like or you want to go and yeah. see or and hang around the back see if anybody needs any hand humping gear before you know it you might end up being mistaken for local crew you end up with a local crew job at the venue god knows where that goes absolutely but you can't get it if you're not there so <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah. Funnily enough, when um first tour I did was um with a, a band called Nuclear Assault, and um they're um uh, they're from um New York, and um John, their guitarist and singer, had a Geordie guitar tech, and I said to him one night, "So, how do you guys end up with a Geordie guitar tech?" And he's like, well, we came over to play London, the Hammersmith, one-off show, and we couldn't bring any crew. And that's when I met Jim. He was working for, like, one of the other bands or something like that, and he was like, and he was he was covering me as well. And I was like, oh, right, okay, cool. And he said, that night we did the gig, and I thought, stupidly, I'd jump into the crowd with my guitar, 
And I didn't realise that there were seats there and snapped the end of his guitar off. And and he said, so following day, um, we had like a, a one show to play because we'd come all this way and we had the same crew. And I got first, my first thought in the morning was, shit, I'm going to have to use my backup where, and my main guitar's out of action. And he goes, when I got to the venue, both my guitars were on a were on guitar stands in front of my amp and i was like what's going on and he went over to jim and said what happened and jim said well i went in the crowd got the pieces spent stayed up last night piecing it all together putting it into a a u-clamp araldite you know all the rest of it uh blair's all right lake it's not brand new <laughs> And he said, and he said, and he just handed it to me when he said, and and he just, and, and John just said to me, and that is how you get a job for life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like he, he's my guitar tech until he says he isn't. Yeah. You, you know, know and, and that's, that's the thing. That's exactly how it happens. Because I also say that it's the experience. It's like I've had young girls that have done tour management as courses and I'm like, but you have no idea how the rest of it works. Start at the bottom, you know, start as a runner, start in the cafe, and then suddenly you they've run out of sugar. No, I'll go and get the sugar because we get sugar from the cafe. You know, you and it just works. <laughs> that boggles my mind that there's a course for Tom. Yeah. You may as well have a course yeah. saying this is the course for life because we know what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Here's the course. Right, here's a tip. Here are the things that happen typically on tour well yeah fine fair enough you've yeah. got a point but what about the myriad of things that don't normally happen but fucking happen <laughs> exactly exactly and that's why motorhead were were my was my university studies <laughs> yeah. you know that was my upbringing with them i always used to make a point then any new band i ever worked for and and you, you right again going back to the women thing they go, oh, it's, we've got a woman, you know, she's either going to be like our mother or she's going to be like a pushover. And I just was like, please do not try anything. And it's not because I don't want to sort it out. It's because you're going to make yourself look stupid. I've worked for Motorhead for 10 years of my life and I've seen it all. And there's nothing you can do that can be better or worse or whatever. So just just don't bother embarrassing yourself about it, you know. And it's been like, Brilliant. oh my god, okay, <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's worked. Every that is quite the speech. I felt my I felt myself yeah. shrink shrinking into my sofa as you were saying it. <laughs> Brilliant. The, the only trouble is that you do tend to, which I'm I'm, I'm over now. But when I first stopped touring. I think we spoke. We've spoke about this in the past. It's just, it's so hard to go back to normal life. So hard. You know? Do you mean when you be? You, do you mean becoming a demanding bitch? <laughs> so like, yes. I want it I, fixed well, now, I and I can't I fix it now. I never did that on tour. I because I, I never <laughs> did. I never. I I blew my top three times. Three in, in my whole career, I blew my top three times. But the um, at home. The normal things, you know, yeah. it's the like, helplessness. Oh well, they're on holiday, yeah, and then 
they'll need to order the parts. So, yeah, we're talking about um, what month are we in now? Maybe three months from now. And I'm going like, what? Yeah. You know, th no. Why Why does this, why does it take so long? What's wrong with you people? Can you imagine if you'd, when you retired from the industry, if we'd had the supply chain issues oh. that we have now, you'd have been, you'd have been <sighs> knocking people out in the supermarket left, right and centre. <laughs> Word. It's 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 um, yoga's good. <laughs> yoga's good at meditation. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Because you, you do. And, and yeah. even my daughter sometimes has to check me and she'll go, It's fine. Stop worrying about it. It's fine. And I'll be like, Yeah, but I've got to fill out all these forms. I've told them what I want. I've told them what I need. And why now have I got to wait three weeks when I could have just nipped into the office and gone here? I want, you know, this is what I want. This is what I need. And it, it, yeah, it's, I still find myself having to take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, well, it has to be done. Um, well, look, Kim, this has been amazing. And, um, and, and thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm, you're one of, um, uh, two women in the business I'm speaking to. I'm also speaking to, um, the lovely Julie Weir at Sony records um and a couple of other um i've been told i've been turned down by a female tour manager by the way um who's too You're busy you know, no, well that was too busy to come on really? well that's that's good in one respect but yeah but bad in another yeah no I, so I, I, um I, I know what you mean but you know she's in the thick of it on a metallica tour so you know never mind but um yeah. look once again thank you so much it's been wonderful thank you Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the book. Oh, I will. Oh, I am. Yes, I am enjoying the book immensely. Um, and I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did doing it, which is a little bit of a catchphrase of mine. Um, yeah, just great fun chatting to Kim. Really, really enjoyed talking to her. She's a wonderful lady who clearly has just, you know, I love the just never give a shit attitude. I love that. And I don't mean like, you know, I, I don't give a shit about anything. I mean that, um, that, that refusal to play by the rules that like, I'm going to go, I, you know, I'm going to work in the music business. doesn't matter where you are, you know, what part of the country is stuck in and just through sheer will and determination getting there and that not giving a shit that, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do it's It's all about that. And funnily enough, I was it, that that bit about um, when we were talking about you know get a job in a venue, and it's like oh yeah, but it's it's not back you know it's not backstage, it's front of house. It's like even if you're working in the ticket office, you're in the building. Yeah, it's like those principles still count to this day. They really, really do. So um, um, I, as I mentioned, this is one of a series that is going to be coming from people um, from behind the scenes. I've got, um, we've got Kim, I've got Julie Weir, who is label manager for Music for Nations at Sony. She's going to be coming on. I've got Liam O'Donoghue, who used to work for Music for Nations, who's been in the business for 34 years. And um, I have a chat with him about five or six days um, before he leaves the industry for good, um, which was a really interesting chat. And I was really pleased that Liam made the time for me. Um, 
And also, we're gonna get we're gonna get Miles back on. Remember Miles Hackett, yeah, from um, uh, Dry Heave Records. Well, obviously BMG as well. He handles all of the noise re- um, uh, re-releases and all the Motorhead stuff. And it was and it was he and I that came up with the Motorcast idea in lockdown. So Miles is going to come back on again, and he's going to be giving you another aspect of you know, uh, well, another so. Uh, look from a label point of view he's at bmg i've got juliet uh, mfn then we've got kim who was road manager and also liam from a label as well so there's there's four parts to this industry uh, special and there could be more depending on who i can get in it so you'll be hearing all about the music business from every angle and of course what i am going to do is i'm going to dot those about with the regular interviews that you would get, you know, from people in bands and stuff like that, because I know, you know, that is what people really like to hear. But I also want to give you something a bit different, something that is just a little, you know, a little bit, maybe something you're not going to get from another podcast. I don't know. But, you know, just something that is from the other side of the fence, as it were. And you get loads of that stuff and even more of it on Patreon. Sorry for bringing it up again, but I forgot to mention earlier. You can get a seven-day free free trial. So if you go for the um, if you go for the tiers of the podcast, the weird thing is, um, or, or rather Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Howard H Smith, that will give you an idea of how to sign up. And you want the tier that you can't see. All right. So you 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 want the full bollocks package. That's the one you want, the full bollocks package. And if you click on that, you can do, I think it's a seven-day free trial on that. Download as much stuff as you like. Do it. Oh, I did say it, didn't I? Now I've said that out loud. I'm like, no, no, I did do the free trial. Fucking hell. Hey. Honestly, when I do get my shit together, I then apologise for not having my shit together and do the shit together that I've already done. What a dick. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Check out the YouTube channel, all the rest of it. Check out um, Patreon. And please do spread the word about the podcast, people. That'd be great if you could. And until then, look after yourselves. And until we speak again, ta-ra.